Here's the thing. Saving money with Geico is almost better than playing pickup basketball. Because there's always that guy who joins your game. He never passes the rock, he constantly bricks threes, and he'll completely hack you and then put his hands up and say, no foul, no foul. With GEICO, it's easy to switch and save on car insurance. No need to fake an ankle sprain because you're absolutely exhausted. So switch and save with GEICO. It's almost better than sports. Disgraceland, a music and true crime podcast about musicians getting away with murder and behaving very badly, hosted by me, Jake Brennan, is back with season five. And you're not going to want to miss new episodes on Guns N' Roses, Jay-Z, Prince, Ozzy Osbourne, Nipsey Hussle, Run DMC, Selena, The Rolling Stones, and more. You can listen to Disgraceland on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Rockerola. Welcome to Movie Crush, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Movie Crush. Charles W. Chuck Bryant here. Home studio, Pont City Market, Atlanta, Georgia. Friday interview edition. Colleague edition. Colleague? Colleague for a long time. <laughs> for a long time, dude. Like yeah. fucking 12 years? Yeah, 12 years. You can curse on the show, you know. I can? Isn't that exciting? Oh, well, I don't even know if I'll be able to do it. <laughs> I know, right? It, had, it took getting, getting used to for me, but now I, I like have the worst mouth on this show. <laughs> I've heard a couple of episodes that are a little blue, a little blue, <laughs> but in the best way. So some of you might recognize this voice. I'm sitting down with Matt Frederick, uh, one of my old pals, an old colleague. We've been working together for like 12 years, like I just said. And Matt, uh, you know, we all started out here. Uh, I was a writer and you were in the video department. Yes. Along, you were kind of one of the first ones, you and Tyler. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. I came on as an intern in 2006. Wow. Yeah. 13 years ago. You were yeah. an intern? Yeah, I was an intern. That's yeah. adorable. Straight out of college. Uh, from what, Georgia State? Georgia State uh, Film and Video Department. Yeah. Right. So you got a job and that's when we were doing videos and we were making videos for the web site mm-hmm. and for the web. And then we got bought by Discovery and did like YouTube stuff. Yeah. And everyone was like, no one wants to see anybody anymore. Dude, back in the day, we were trying to make podcasts that were videos to go on iTunes because there was a whole yeah. section on iTunes for video podcasts. Right. That's how Stuff They Don't Want You To Know got started. It was video? Yeah, oh, that's it was right, it was. iTunes video podcast. <laughs> well, that was the next thing coming out of my mouth is you're the uh, one of the co-hosts of Stuff They Don't Want You To Know. Uh, you are now a, what's your official title? Executive producer? I'm lead executive producer. Whatever, lead yeah. EP I I know it's not, I'm not taking credit for anything, but I remember when all these big transitions were happening, I met with all you guys who I always thought of as like, you know, little brothers and said, listen, dudes, we're thing changes in the air. And my advice is get on the audio wagon. (laughs) I remember this clearly. (laughs) Because I think that's where it's headed. And unless you want to go work at another company and do video, then be an audio producer. And you all did. Yeah. Like everybody. Well, that's the thing about this place, how stuff works, you know, no matter who owns it or, you know, what entity is at the top of that name, Mm -hmm. the people 
have largely unchanged. And I think it's because of the people that are here. I think you're right. Yeah. I mean, no one was like, screw this. I'm out of here. No. Everyone adapted and changed. Casey, you, Tyler. Yeah. Paul. I guess Paul was, I mean, he's, he's quote unquote new. Paul is newer. Annie has been here. I didn't realize how long Annie had been here. Oh, she's been here, what, like eight or 10 years? I think nine or 10. Yeah. Yeah. That's great, man. A testament for all to of you, like uh, what we're doing here. For everybody out there who even cares at all. The, the How Stuff Works <laughs> team is pretty cool. I think people do care. <laughs> I think they like to know that, you know. We've all been working together a long time and we're all like invested in each other's lives. And like you've grown up now. I saw you get married. Well, not in person. I wasn't invited. That's okay. <laughs> hey, hey. I'm <laughs> no, sure you were. It was in I've South seen, Florida. So. I didn't invite you to my wedding either. Uh, but we've all seen each other get married and have children and mm-hmm. our kids are about the same age. And just kind of this really neat thing to see everyone grow up. You're a grown man now. You were just a child. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 36 as of uh, just a couple of days it's ago. It's crazy. You guys are always going to be 22 and 23 years old to me. <laughs> me too. And that means hopefully I'm always going to be 36. <laughs> well, yeah. It, hopefully we can all keep our uh, – I forget the actual – title of this or the term for this within the movie we're going to talk about today. Right. But our resi- ourselves, our uh, matrix selves, sure. our representations. I was your age, actually, when I started, uh, roughly. Wow. Because I'm 48. Yeah. 12, 12, 13 years ago. Well, sir, you do not look uh, a day over 38. <laughs> <laughs> Please. I didn't have gray hair when I started on my beard. Yeah, I, I remember that. Yeah, now it's, it's uh, there's a lot of it there. Uh, I, so had, Matt, I had all my hair when I started, so. <laughs> uh, you're a lead EP now, and you work, uh, you've still got all your hair. What are you talking about? You've got great <laughs> hair. Uh, are you playing drums these days, by the way? I am not, man. I want to so badly. So if you're listening and you're in the Atlanta area uh-huh. and you need a drummer, uh, give me a shout. Do you still have a drum set? I do. Is but it, it set up? It is set up, Okay. it's in my parents' basement. Oh, well, so you have to go over there? Yeah. So you literally haven't touched drumsticks in how long? Uh, and I every time I go, like we take my son to go see the oh, grandparents. Go yeah, I go in the basement for a while. I, I just say, "Honey, everybody, just oh, give me great. give me thirty. I'll be back." See, that <laughs> makes me feel good. That's what I wanted to hear. It would have really disappointed me if you're like, "Yeah, don't even have any interest anymore." Oh no, man, no. That you know that blew my mind. I I don't know how many people know who Connell is, the number one import most important powerful person in podcasting. <laughs> uh, yeah, Connell's our boss. Who who literally commissioned all these podcasts many, many years ago. When I first met him, uh-huh. it was in a meeting in the, a place called the Fishbowl uh, in our old office. That's right. He came in to talk to us uh, and Roxanne and everybody who was there. Uh-huh. And he somebody casually mentions or somehow it, it's brought up that he was a touring musician and he used to be in That's Europe right. uh-huh. touring as a singer and guitarist. Uh-huh. And I was like, True oh, story. oh, <laughs> I was like, dude, do you still play? Yeah, I got my sticks. I got my kit. Let's go, man. <laughs> and he was just like, I don't play music anymore. That's very Connell. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I was, we, we were signed to a major label and I was touring through Europe, but like, no, nah, don't do that anymore. Yeah, don't worry about that. He's a very talented guy. Seriously. So uh, now you're a lead EP of some of the biggest shows in podcasting. Uh, you were lead EP on Atlanta Monster. And uh, voice that as well, right? Uh, I don't mean to correct you. Uh, On Atlanta Monster, I was supervising producer. Oh, okay. And then... No, we'll set the record straight. And then on the the (laughs) second season, I was host and then became uh, executive producer on that show too. Okay. And uh, you're now uh, working with Aaron Mankey, one of the biggest names in podcasting. Yeah. On his stuff, you were assigned his slate. 
because you're killer and they knew you do a great job, what you're doing. Uh, you know, I think I'm doing okay. I'm still here. That's yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm like basing everything on. Do, do I what, still have an office? What's new? Yeah. What's going coming up? Uh, is there anything you can talk about that you want to tease? Uh, yeah, I can tease a couple of things. If you haven't listened to Noble Blood yet, mm-hmm. I certainly would. It's, and that is about the royalty? Yeah, it, it's relatively unknown stories of royalty, but told in a, a very narrative way, uh-huh. even though they're true stories. It's right. Dana Schwartz who's the host, and she just does a great job telling you the story uh, in a way that flows, uh, similar to the way Aaron Mankey tells stories on Lore uh-huh. and some of the other shows. Um, and also Unobscured, which the yeah. first season was all about the Salem Witch Trials. Uh-huh. The second season is coming out later this year, around October. Can you say what it's about yet? Or is it a secret? I, Maybe not. Aaron keeps a lot of that close to his chest, sure, so yeah. I'd rather not speak to it. But no, it's yeah. really it's really cool. Awesome. I can't wait. You'll tell me off mic, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Perks of working here. Uh, yeah, so Matt has become one of like the best uh, lead EPs we have. You're assigned some of the most high-profile stuff, and it's a testament to the work you do, my friend. Now, stop it and thank you. So let's talk The Matrix. Yes! (laughs) I'm glad you picked this one, and you picked this one a while ago. I've sort of been, uh, well, I'm holding it for you. No one else asked to do it, but uh, 1999, it's fucking 20 years old, which is crazy to think about. And I have not seen it. Um, I was trying to remember the last time I saw The Matrix. I saw it quite a few times back then, but it's probably been... At least 15 years since I've seen it. Oh, yeah? I haven't seen it in a long, 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 long time, I realized, when I was watching it. And the short answer, you stopped by my desk yesterday, kind of like a little nervous, like, did it hold up or not? Yeah. And boy, it held up for me. I'll tell you, last time I watched it was 2003. Okay, wow, yeah. Yeah, and I know specifically because my wife had never seen it. Okay. And I... At the time, she was just my girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was like, you have never seen The Matrix? That's pretty unusual, I think. Yeah. So we entered, like a young American. We, <laughs> it's yeah. not like she was eight years old or like 50. Yeah. She was in that wheelhouse. Yeah. Well, and she was an actor, too, and she was plugged into, you know, pop culture and everything. And I figured it would be, you know, up sure. there for her. It, it wasn't. And mm-hmm. I forget sometimes that it is a serious action sci-fi like movie. Is Diana not into that stuff? That is the opposite of what she's looking for. Oh, okay. Well, if it's got sense. Judd Apatow involved right. or a hilarious person, then that's that is her wheelhouse. All right. So that makes sense. Did she like it though when she saw it? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't sound like it. <laughs> we had we had some we had some cool discussion, but you know, a lot of times that's me harping on something like we're probably going to talk about it later and yeah. then her just going okay I, I guess I can see that so that's a cool discussion <laughs> in your house <laughs> generally you, you sound like me come yeah. on Emily watch The Hangover <laughs> we'll have a cool discussion about it uh, it really held up for me man it was uh, and I think in context now especially to see something that was 20 years old but so revolutionary at the time and it's very easy to forget how revolutionary it was when so many imitators came after. Um, and, and and it's not like The Matrix was the most original thing ever. Like they borrowed and stole, we might as well talk about all that stuff from manga and and any sci-fi movie ever. So yeah. it's not like it was the most original thing ever. Tons of tons of comic book, yeah, like you said, manga and comic book uh, shots. Like you can just yeah. see it. You can see the pages turning on the on the screen. And also the story. The yeah. overall story, if you take out the sci-fi stuff, uh-huh. 
is a very old story. Of, it's biblical. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's Jesus in some ways. In a lot of ways. It's uh, it, it's almost a superhero origin story in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was just at the time and the way they skinned the movie, it just felt like something we had never seen before. It was, it's a bit of a magic trick they played to seem totally fresh and original and new. Yeah. And all these other people in the know at the time were like, dude, they're totally ripping off this, this, and this. Think about the first thing you see when you start this movie. You know, it's just showing you the production companies and everything. That green logo. The green overlay <laughs> with all of it. God. I mean, it for me, that became so iconic. Yeah. Just that, even that tone, that color. Yep. I loved it. It's like, I fell in love with green, it. like, uh, th- I mean, the whole movie is green. Every, I'm sure they just had a green filter over every single shot of the movie. Yeah. But the, the, there was something about them going with that, like pushing all their chips in on a color. Yeah. Which is pretty crazy. You yeah, know? Yeah, man. It's like, let's make a green movie. Yeah. But it's so iconic now. Well, and then, oh, man, my wife was pulling up trivia because we watched it last night for the second time. Did she like it any better? Uh, she liked it better. She okay, really did. Good. We were more into it. But again, I'm sitting next to her, like, clacking away on my computer, taking yeah. notes. I'm transcribing most of the quotes sure. that I want to <laughs> talk to you about. I'm just like, oh, I forgot about that one. Oh, yeah. Ah. Just feel free to throw out a quote whenever you come by. Oh, oh yeah. We're yeah. going to we're gonna do some monologuing, I yeah. think. There's some soliloquies <laughs> we got to get into. Nice. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, I even forgot where I was because it was just so – that opening scene. Yeah. We're looking at the trivia and she was telling me that it took four days to shoot just that opening scene from the moment where uh, – spoiler alert. Do you give spoiler alerts? Everybody no, every, here knows where – Yeah, this is spoiled away. Okay, cool. So – Neo's the one. Neo is the <laughs> one. It turns out. He didn't look like it for a minute, but it turns That's out. Right. Um, so when Trinity is sitting there alone in that abandoned building, mm. the, all the police show up. They open the door. She's sitting there. And that fight scene that occurs, one of the first things we see yeah. is her doing a jump kick. Yeah. She jumps into the air, spreads her arms. Like a fucking it, spider or something. Or a crane. Yeah. Just, <laughs> and we get that slow motion pan. Yeah, bullet time. Yeah. What, well, it wasn't called that until later, but sure. Yeah, we get that shot almost off the bat. Yeah. And I forgot that that, I mean, I I knew it, I guess. It's just I forgot that they were giving you that much yeah. in the beginning to ramp up the tension. The jumps from the buildings that you get almost immediately. Yeah. And just the, the badass fighting. Yeah, it's just happening. kinetic and there's so much energy to it. And the black leather and it was so stylish and like cool. The black leather. And that jump and the bullet time, like... I remember sitting in the theater and seeing that happen and feeling like my brain exploded. Yeah. Because it was – it's – so many people copied it. It's so old hat now. Noel was saying his daughter, he they watch it together and she was like, oh, this is kind of cheesy. And like I've seen that a million times. Oh. But like to see it on screen the very first time and not knowing, you know, I'm a film guy. You're a film guy. Like yeah. how did they do that? Yeah. I had to stop myself from trying to figure out how the fuck they did that shot. It felt like seeing a magic trick. Yeah. And and really, yeah. It was so <laughs> cool. My brain exploded in the movie theater. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean, right off the bat, they and the other thing that I kind of forgot, I did voice to text too. That's so funny. It's like so many of these words are misspelled. <laughs> but the stakes are set and it's spelled like the cut of meat, the steaks. <laughs> uh, but the steaks are set right away with that voiceover. And I don't even remember that voiceover at the beginning with uh, um, 
Trinity talking to Morpheus. Yeah. We're going to kill him, but Morpheus says he, or no way, is it Joey Pants? Bailey yeah, Bailey. I think it's Joey Pants uh, talking to to uh, Trinity. Cypher, yeah, Cypher and Trinity. Have Cypher, I always forget all the names. Well, and so, okay. Morpheus says he's the one. Like, they yeah. say it right at the beginning. Yeah. But the first time you see the movie, you don't even know what they're talking about. Dude. And for me, that has such interesting biblical uh, meaning there with sure. the betrayer and the savior, essentially, of the guy. Oh, yeah. Like, having this conversation at the top. It's all over the place in this movie. Like, the story is as old as time, like yeah. you said. Well, the movie's so smart to do that because you don't even know the significance at that moment. But it is yeah. truly significant. Well, and it was one of these where repeated viewings um, back in the day were like, you saw so much more. You understood so much more. Yeah. Uh, even though it's not a complex movie, like all these little like teasers along the way. So great. Can I tell you a little bit about why this movie meant so much to me, why I wanted to cover it with you? Absolutely. Okay. So picture uh, Matt Frederick. You don't know what I look like, I'm assuming, but uh, <laughs> just picture this thing, but in corporeal form. Uh-huh. Uh, he's living in Forsyth County, Georgia, coming Georgia. That's where, Is that where you grew he's up? growing up. That's me, this guy. Yeah, that's where I grew up. And uh, Yet you became a, a, a good liberal. Well, <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure ev- everything happens for a reason. And and what? not really, I don't truly believe that. But in this way, <laughs> it's the, the idea that I had a reaction to my environment, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. a lot of times it's a rubber banding effect kind right. of thing. I think that's what occurred. And I also had incredible parents right. uh, growing up there who were not from Forsyth County. Right. Um, not to look. I'm not poo-pooing you for Sath. It's just uh, you know, there's some stuff going on up there. Y'all know what it is. Yeah. It's the way the way it is. Yes. Um, but I was living there. I'd grown up in the church, the Methodist church mm-hmm. specifically, and I internalized that heavily as I was becoming a teenager. You know, mm-hmm. uh, middle school, high school, and my philosophy was so rooted mm-hmm. in the Bible and taking it literally and reading the stories as though Moses really did these things as yeah. though... You're talking about me too, my childhood yeah. as well. Yeah? Oh, yeah, except I was Baptist. Oh, well, there you go. Even worse. <laughs> no, well, I don't know. <laughs> there, there's a... Um, there's a certain boring quality to Methodist services. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, that I don't see in a lot of Baptist services. But again, anyway, that's just, no. again, no offense to you sure. uh, Methodists out there, uh, First United Methodist Church, uh, Shambly, Georgia, <laughs> and uh, coming. Okay, so um, th- that that's my worldview. It's very solidified. Mm-hmm. So 1999, because uh, this came out March, I think March 31st or March uh-huh. uh, 1999. Um, my worldview is so solidified that when I walk into that theater to go see a cool action movie that I'm excited about, the trailers look great, the taglines have been so crazy cool, like yeah. free your mind. Oh, what? Yeah. Well, you want me to free my mind? What is the Matrix? I don't know. Let's yeah. go find out what the Matrix it's like is. George Clinton shit. <laughs> Seriously. The Matrix has you? Yeah. Um, so walk into that theater, I watched the movie, and I couldn't tell you that I truly remember watching it for the first time. Yeah. It felt more like the movie happened to me. Yeah. Um, because it was the first major crack in the armor of my established worldview right. where I, and again, it's just a movie. I know it's fiction. I'm in there. I understand all of that. Sure. But it caused me to 
think, well, maybe I don't know everything. Yeah. Because I think what religion a lot of times will do to us is cause us to believe that we have the answer. We understand like what humans are, mm-hmm. what we're meant to do on this planet yeah. and all these things. And don't, don't explore any further because it's all right here. Yeah. You got the answers already. Yeah. Uh, it, this, this movie really did move things wow. in a direction of discovery for me. Wow. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it was a religion class in college. Dude, I wasn't there yet, but as soon as I took a religion class in uh-huh. college, that's when things <laughs> took a bit of a 180. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. We studied Judaism, Hinduism, and jeez, uh, what was the third one? I can't remember. Judaism and Buddhism, maybe. Buddhism? Dude. And I remember thinking, oh, wait a minute. First of all, they're all sort of the same. How is that possible? Yeah. And yeah, I learned a lot. It really opened my mind. Oh, man, me too. And yeah. For me, it was a lot of the... Um, kind of the old, old, more what would be considered pagan or mm-hmm. like Wicca and some of these uh, religions that, that focus on nature above mm-hmm. a lot of other things, that really like just broke me out of yeah. everything. Because I, I, I could connect with all the things that, that were being worshipped and venerated. Right. And I was like, oh, okay, that kind of makes sense. <laughs> Here's the thing. Saving money with GEICO is almost better than playing pickup basketball. Because there's always that guy who joins your game. He never passes the rock, he constantly bricks threes, and he'll completely hack you and then put his hands up and say, no foul, no foul. With GEICO, it's easy to switch and save on car insurance. No need to fake an ankle sprain because you're absolutely exhausted. So switch and save with GEICO. It's almost better than sports. Hey, it's Ben, Henry, and Marcus, hosts of The Last Podcast on the Left. Our show's dedicated to uncovering hilariously horrifying stuff. And now we're only on Spotify. Join us. If you want. Obviously, we'd never force anyone to just blindly join us. That'd be crazy. But if you like stories about doomsday cults who do exactly that and more, please join us on Spotify. Visit Spotify.com slash last podcast to listen free. So you were 16 then, roughly, when this came out. Yeah. Wow. And then on my 17th birthday, uh-huh. I had a birthday party at my parents' basement. Uh-huh. Uh, hopefully there's one person listening that was at that party. <laughs> um, it was, a, my sister probably is listening. Um, <laughs> she was there. It was a combination Matrix Steve Irwin party. Wow. So you could either wow. come yeah, you could either come as uh, dressed as your matrix self, bring your leather or bring your, your short you know, yeah. cargo pants. <laughs> That's adorable. It was amazing. Wow. I just I want to put you in my pocket right now. <laughs> well, you the other funny thing to remember about this film too in context of when it came out is uh, a, f- a few months before a movie called Episode 1 The Phantom Menace, which Yeah. Not a good look for George Lucas. To be bested at his own game. Yeah. And preemptively, you know? When these two directors that I'd never heard of came through yeah. and created this thing, and then these Star two kids, Wars yeah, feels like it's old and dated, yeah. and like this seems so fresh and like cyberpunk and kinetic and like cutting edge. And it's like I said, it's easy now to some people like Noel thought it was a little dated now. Yeah. To look, but in the context of 1999, it was right there. The I'll dawn tell you. of the millennium. Uh, oh yeah. You know, it was everyone was thinking about this like stuff. Yes, 
it was on everybody's mind. Y2K was was like that their fear was real. <laughs> it's crazy to think about. Uh, but I, so there are a couple of dated things I want to hit right here just because we punched sure. on that. Um, the cell phone that Neo opens. That Nokia. The first time. Uh-huh. That, that goes. Yeah, yeah. That's great. And my wife was like, oh, my God, that's the cheesiest. That is a terrible. They couldn't think of a cooler phone. That's was like, why, because that's the coolest phone. It was <laughs> still the coolest phone. <laughs> well, at the time, you know, if you're going to have a phone, it was a flippy maybe. Right. But usually it's a brick. And or if you had a lot of money, you had that razor flip phone. The razor, and it was thin, yeah, ish. But again, like this thing that just like the, I thought it looked cool. The kinetic movement of it, <laughs> yeah, it was badass. So that one, my wife thought was hilariously bad. Uh-huh. But then the other one is Morpheus's sunglasses. They're great. Do you remember these? Yeah, man. There's no uh, whatever these are called. What are these called? The thing that sits on your ears. The arms? Yeah, the arms, the legs. You just pinch it and you watch him do it a couple times. He puts them on. He just like pinch. I forgot he put them on in that one scene. He said something and then just like pinches them on his nose. Because they look cool when they're sitting on his face. Exactly. Or cool for Morpheus. Yes. I wouldn't wear that shit. Yeah. But they look good on Lawrence Fishburne. They did. God, Morpheus is so great. Uh, So they have the opening fight and you get one of, already out of the gate, you get one of the best lines of the film. Oh, I know what it is. You, are you going to say it or you want me to say it? You say it. Well, you say it because I want to see if it's got to be the same one. Oh, are you sure? Yeah, go ahead. You give me that Juris My Diction crap and you can cram it up your ass. That wasn't my line. Oh, okay. All right. That was mine. <laughs> uh, my line is, your men are already dead. Yep. That was literally the next one that I have here. All right. I figured because, uh, <laughs> well, we should talk about um, we should talk about him and that character. One Agent, of the great villains of all time. Agent Smith? Yes. Oh, Like dude. one of the great movie villains ever. One yeah. of the great bad guys. And the the decision by the Wachowskis to, um, I think it was a smart decision to make the agents so fucking scary and intimidating, yet put them in these black suits with glasses and mysterious and you don't know even what they are. Yeah. And they're never up or down, like he's always steady. But, you know, as badass as all of them are, they fucking run from agents. Yeah. And no one's ever beaten one up. Yeah, exactly. Everyone it, has died. It's interesting to me how they represent um, both like a, you know, a representations of an FBI agent or a corporate boss yeah. or the way that suit lands on them, the way it sits on them, uh-huh. the way their sunglasses are. Like the earwigs. Yeah. They, I mean, Secret service style. It, they represent a whole lot of power structure. Yeah. Really, really in a sleek way, sure. I would say. And that the cold calculated, like the way their eyes function, the way they move, the way they look and the yeah. way they function together. It's just, it's representative of a lot of the negative things that this movie or this movie takes to be negative things. Right. It's, yeah, there are some larger statements going on, I think, in this film. Yeah. Well, uh, and, behind and, the scenes. And they distill a lot of things into a symbol yeah. in this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, also in the opening scene, uh, aside from the great jump in the bullet time, I have to say when uh, when she runs on the wall, that was another oh. scene that blew – that part that blew me away because immediately you're just like – these people have some kind of superpower. But <laughs> yeah. this is before MCU and all that stuff. So we didn't know what that meant or looked like. Like we oh hadn't been in, over inundated with superhero movies in 1999. Yeah. It wouldn't play as well now. And it, it was so odd because they didn't 
feel like superheroes, but they were doing superhero things. They look really interesting on screen. Yeah. You know, with the latex, the leather and all those things, especially Trinity in that opening scene. But Carrion Moss was so hot too. (laughs) My my wife and I were bonding a little bit about that. She was like, oh my God. It was on that first scene. Uh Actually, no, it was the scene, the next scene. Yeah. uh, Right after Neo wakes up at his computer, Uh then he follows the white rabbit they're in that club scene. And she gets in his ear. She's talking to him right in the nape of his so neck. So sensual. I remember like feeling as though I was falling in love with her. You were 16, dude. dude. You were in Methodist boy. You probably didn't know the feelings you were feeling. I didn't understand that. That had never happened to me. I was like, uh, I, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, she was so sexy and cool and like strong and like yeah. she was a badass. She was like everything you wanted in like uh, in a movie like this. Yep. And I can't imagine being like I'm remembering 16 year old Baptist Chuck. Like, mind would have been blown. The movies were not this cool yeah. or sexy back then. Well, it's the kind of thing where <laughs> everything in my body wants to cover my eyes and right. not look, and then just peek through my fingers because I really want to look, but everything is telling oh, me not so to. Oh, it's so perfect, and especially like the outfits and all. Like you said, the the, the latex and the leather and like that stuff. That yeah, it's like you know. You didn't see girls in high school wearing that stuff. No. So you see it on screen and it's just like, oh, my God. I know. I, I like her. Yeah. <laughs> well, in the the costuming in this movie is so interesting. And it was, again, that Methodist kid living in a conservative county in Georgia mm-hmm. has never seen anybody wear any of the clothes that are happening right. in, in the Matrix. Yeah. Um, for at least when they're in their Matrix selves or their yeah, residual yeah. whatever self. And – that was also very strange for me. Sure. Um, oh, and that was the other thing with the agents that I totally forgot. We get introduced to the agents uh-huh. in pitch black at night in a city yeah. by an abandoned building. We've yeah. got police officers out there, siren or um, lights going off everywhere. They roll up all wearing sunglasses. Yeah, you think they're feds. But yeah. They're, yeah, but they're wearing the shades. And it also seems like they're robots. Yeah. It's like, what are they? Yeah, exactly. That You immediately get that... Um, this is these guys are off, but yeah, because like the cops defer to them. Yeah, um, and and you it takes you don't fully understand the relationship, and t- like the movie like uh, the movie reveals itself very smartly as it goes. I think as far as the world and what's going on, yeah. obviously the big reveal later. But it, it, I like a movie where um, you're, you're trying to piece together because you know they're not regular cops or detectives. Yeah. Like there's something else going on. But they do. I mean you – that line, you give me that jurist my diction crap, you can cram it up your ass. You, that's, the, yeah. that's the thing we've heard in a lot of other movies. You think about right. Beverly Hills Cop or maybe not that one. But there, a lot of older cop movies where the FBI agent – Yeah, it's a trope. Yeah, they like come we're in. taking over now. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, well, come on. This is our crime scene. Yeah, this is our crime scene. <laughs> I was just about to say it. That's the line. This is our crime scene now. Exactly. Take your local boys and get out of here. And they just set it up in the beginning, and then it makes you – It that's what it does. This movie makes you start to question things before it reveals things. Right. And then as it reveals things, your mind continues to get blown. Yeah. So think about – if you don't mind, can we just take us to – we we talked a little bit about Neo running uh-huh. away. He's in his office building. He's he is symbolically escaping his corporate Which life. Which is a great sequence. Yeah. Oh, so awesome. Yeah. Um, then, you know, he goes out on that ledge, which, by the way, Keanu Reeves apparently actually went out on that ledge. Oh, really? No stuntman and shot that scene. Wow. Yeah. That, I mean, okay. 
probably not necessary, but sure. Well, yeah, but he, he wanted to, and it, I mean, it's really cool. Yeah. Um, then we, he gets taken away by the agents, right? And you have them sitting right. down, being interrogated. Uh-huh. Um, talking, I, I totally forgot his name was Thomas. Yeah, you Thomas don't hear his name a. much because it's always uh, Mr. Anderson. Yeah. I mean, it's Thomas A. Anderson, I yeah, think. Yeah, Thomas Anderson. And uh, I forget if they actually mention his age. I was looking it up last night. He's supposed to be around 27, 28. Okay. Around that time. Yeah, that's about right. Um, so, you know, a fairly young professional uh-huh. guy working. He's being interrogated. We know already from the movies established that he's a hacker of some sort. He right. At least he sells that guy uh, some kind of data disk. We yeah, don't what really is know. That? Do we know? I, I don't think it's explained fully. Maybe I'm wrong. Correct us if we're wrong, but I don't think they fully explain what it is. Yeah. But he gets a lot of money for it. It's some sort of black market thing. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, you know, oh, what was it? I've got the line in here. Uh, I'm talking about clubbing to White Zombie, which was so weird. Yeah. Hanging out in the club and Dragula's <laughs> playing. Um, okay. So you mean when he's being interrogated, what he says? Yeah, he's being interrogated. Let's see. Um, agents, I put Agent Smith putting in work. I don't know what that means. <laughs> uh, <laughs> as you can see, we've had our eyes on you for some time now, Mr. Anderson. Yeah, he does. It's sort of the trope where he, uh, the you, and it's a great way to get information out there is when you read the case file to the person yes. about the person. Yes. It's an old movie bit, but it works. It totally. always works. And he just says you're you're guilty of virtually every computer crime out there. Yeah. And he says we're going to wipe the slate, slate clean. We just need you to give us Morpheus, the man who calls himself Morpheus, right? Right. And that's when you get another awesome line from Keanu when uh, he says, how about I give you the finger and he flips him <laughs> yeah. off and you give me my phone call. <laughs> yeah. He knows his rights. But they respond – by blowing your mind. The movie responds yeah. by blowing your effing mind. Yeah, because it's, I mean, uh, you get, it gets teased out. You see the bullet time and her run on the wall. And otherwise, it's a pretty straightforward, like, you know, hacker gets caught by detectives. You think they're detectives? Yeah. He's being interrogated. And then they fucking seal his mouth shut. Yeah. Somehow, without touching him, ever. Yeah. And that's when you know you're in a different kind of movie. And then they get out this weird little metal thing out of this glass vial, break the glass vial. Yes. And then it turns into this weird, like, shrimpy squid yeah, thing. Yeah, shrimpy squid. And then Ro- it... Robo shrimp squid. <laughs> <laughs> and then, it, then it crawls into his belly button. Yeah, man. My my wife was cringing, like, oh, like yeah. on the couch, like... Ugh. Yeah, one of my favorite things about this movie is all of that stuff and all of it seems within the realm of possibility. None of it is so far out there that you're like, come on. Like when you see that thing, like literally planting a bug on someone, you think, all right, this is the near future. Maybe that shit will happen. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, in the that, you know, that's another weird thing about this movie. It plants itself in 1999. There, yeah. There's a part where Morpheus. Is that where it's set? That's where okay. Mor- Morpheus is talking to to Neo and he's he's saying, you know, you believe it's 1999. Right. When in fact it's closer to 21. Oh, that's right. 99 or yeah, something Yeah, yeah, like yeah. That. That's right. Um, but to think that it's trying to be our real world, uh-huh. essentially. Yeah. Just uh, adding in these elements to that world. Because right. like you said, it's not so so out there. Right. They, the, They're not flying around spaceships, you know. Yeah, exactly. They're still in the Lincoln Continental. In that, uh, in the scene... You're you're absolutely right. They're in Lincoln Continental, and there's no MIB like Men in Black right. button that makes it. Yeah, it's insane. just a car. Um, 
But they get that contraption out after the bug's been planted. Mm-hmm. The team comes to help him. Trinity gets out this weird-looking contraption. Yeah, that's they, a great sequence. Kind of rain. Oh, dude, in the rain. It kind of looks like a red camera rig that's uh-huh. been fully set up <laughs> yeah. that has a little tube on it. And then watching them do that. But that technology is not... It looks and feels like something you could construct with things yeah. in it, 1999. Yeah, it locates it's inside you, it shocks it, and then sucks it out. Like, yeah. all of those things could probably happen. Yeah. yeah. If you could make a weird sentient squid drone. Right. Shrimpy thing. Shrimpy squid. <laughs> but again, it's like uh, the 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 style of that sequence with that rain and, oh. you know, just it, everything was so intense. It wasn't just like... Let's get a rain tower. They were like, let's get 400 rain towers yeah. and make it rain more than you've ever seen in any movie. <laughs> and then the great shots from above of the rain coming down oh. and the, the rain on the window looks like the Matrix. Yeah. You know, because it has that green hue and it's tickling down. There was something about the screen of the Matrix going vertically instead of horizontally. Oh, my God. That was different. And like I hadn't seen that before. Dude, we haven't even talked about this. The first shot of the movie. Mm-hmm. Is that flashing green, uh, like, DOS. Yeah, the icon, the little uh, prompt or whatever. That's the first thing we see. So uh-huh. we know, we understand as viewers, this is a computer. We're yes. looking at a screen of a computer, an output of a computer. Uh-huh. And then, you know, there's a little bit of, I think, typing. Cursor? Or, or, is that what it's called? Yeah, a cursor. It's a cursor. <laughs> a little bit of typing or something. And then we go immediately, as the movie begins, we go into that monitor and into yep. the computer itself, right? Mm-hmm. That is exactly what the movie is doing and that's what exactly what the world is doing that's what the humans within the world are doing right it's um it's so self-reflexive and so uh, intentional yeah this uh like we're all going uh, into the matrix yes yes yeah. and, and what does it mean and we're going to explore figure out what that means as we continue along right man i would break this entire movie down i feel like this would be a four-hour episode of movie <laughs> crush Chuck. uh let's we got to hit some big things no 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 this is great um so they, they plant the bug, he goes on the ride, they get the bug out, and um, there's just so much atmosphere in that scene. Uh, and it's like so much of this movie became pop culture canon, like uh, some of the lines and red pill, blue pill. Yeah. And all these things became part of um, bullet time, obviously, like, but the, some of the dialogue became part of pop culture history. Oh, my God. People still say red pill, blue pill as a joke. I mean, that became a meme, obviously. So many memes came out of this, like in the early days of memes, probably. Uh, yeah. This should just be most of the memes. You just take the matrix <laughs> and then just apply it to most of the memes and you're done. But that's sort of the question, like uh, the red pill or blue pill, that is, that's the big question that it's asking all of us is what would you do? Yeah. Would you want to know? Or is ignorance bliss? Well, I'll tell you what, if we're going to be serious here, yeah. if you think about the show, stuff they don't want you to know that Ben and I created uh-huh. in roughly 2008, like working on it maybe a little bit in 2007, but uh-huh. mostly 2008, um, it is highly influenced by this because mm-hmm. Ben and I were into, you know, X-Files and Unsolved sure. Mysteries and all yeah, of yeah. the amazing shows that came before those, uh-huh. everything to the Twilight Zone, all of the mysterious uh, things in our world mm-hmm. we were obsessed with, yeah. both of us. 
even when I was a little good Christian boy, mm-hmm. my dad and I were watching X Files right. when whenever a new episode was coming out. I was watching uh, reruns of oh god, there's another show that now I'm blanking on the name of it, but it was like the Twilight Zone, like a lot of those, the Outer Limits. Uh-huh. I was obsessed with that stuff. Yeah, I remember Outer, Outer Limits. It was great. This movie, that concept of going down the rabbit hole mm-hmm. far enough to where you have to decide to take a pill. Like, do you want the answers or not? Yeah. The stuff they don't want you to know is is literally that for us. Yeah. It is offering people a red pill or a blue pill. It's yep. offering ourselves every episode a red pill or a blue pill. Right. Uh, but, but never taking it. Does that make sense? Sure. So it's basically putting it in front of you mm-hmm. if you're a listener and just saying, you you decide. What do you what do you think there? You, you right. take that one and keep going down that rabbit hole? Because you can. Yeah. Or you can stay here and, you know, keep working your nine to five and keep imagining that all of right. this is fine and we're going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, I think that's how the movie works so well, though, is because you do sort of think about this stuff afterward. Like, what I want to know? Or, you know, you saw Cypher. Yeah. Joey Pants later on. He He regrets it so much he's a turncoat. And he even has that great line, you know, I know you're thinking what I've been thinking. Why, oh, why didn't I take the blue pill? Exactly. Or it was a blue pill, right? Why? Yeah, didn't I take the blue pill? That one keeps you, uh, keeps you in the matrix. Because then you get that shot cutting that steak. Yeah, and he has and, that great monologue. What does he say? Do you have it? Yeah, he says, I know this steak doesn't exist. I know that when I put it in my mouth, the matrix is telling my brain <laughs> that it's juicy and delicious. Yeah. After nine years... You know what I realize? Ignorance is bliss. That's right. And he eats a steak. Joey Pants. Oh, man. He's so good <laughs> in this movie. Um, I think because it asks those big questions, though. And listen, I'm not going to sit here and say, like, you know, man, in the Matrix, like, all the big questions of life, they're there, man. <laughs> no, like, no. I'm not doing the college, you know, stoner dissertation. Yeah. But it is a bit of a heady question it lobs out there. And it doesn't hammer at home. It just sort of lets you sit with it as an audience member. It's like you got a choice. There's a truth out there, and uh, someone like Neo wants to know, and they yes. knew that because he's the one. <laughs> well, Morpheus really <laughs> had a hunch. Uh, he really sure. felt it in his bones. <laughs> but this is where the movie goes off the rails. Like yeah. right after that, he wakes up in the Matrix pods, or I guess not Matrix pods, the real world. Yeah. But um, they are no, they are matrix pods because each one of those is a connection to the matrix. Sure, that's you know, yeah, uh, yeah, making the human believe they're in there. But that whole part with him uh, bald and uh, shaved, no eyebrows, and oh getting that thing comes out and all the plugs come out of his body and he's sucked down. It was just like fucking mind blowing the first time I saw it, dude. It was that, and still holds up. Oh, it's completely. Yeah, I was like. Ah, last night. It looks amazing on screen. It really does. And the the effects are so convincing, except yeah. for maybe that the robot um I call it what I call it the extractor robot or whatever it was. The one that, that floats down? Over. It looks okay. I think it looks all right. It looks better again than a lot of the episode 1 stuff when it came <laughs> out, but but you know, it's a little odd and there's a lot going on with it, I sure. think. But it took me away a little bit, but the shots of the pods and the towers and yeah. him, like the and actual score. physical pod that they created with yeah. all that stuff and the score. Uh-huh. Oh my God. Yeah. My they, wife. That reveal of how big those towers are and how many people there are and that little baby oh. hooked up to those tubes. Now that you have kids, much different deal. It really is. You know? 
It really is. But he says, you know, uh, he comes he comes out of it, and well, he says to turn you into a, and he holds up the battery, and that's when it's all you finally understand what's going on. Oh my! That's when he has his freak out. That's Neo, right. Neo can't handle that. He can't. I couldn't handle that shit. What? You want me to be a Duracell? That's what we. Right. That's what I am. I'm equal to a nine volt or whatever well, it was in C in battery. A great fucking shot where it shows, uh, you know, welcome to the world of the real. Yeah, when dude, but the then camera he says, starts so high no. and it goes all the way down and they're just sitting in those chairs in the wasteland. Yeah, but he, Morpheus, it's the only, well, again. Hey, it's a little corny. It's the only corny line I remember <laughs> when it, it, you know, it it cranes down to oh, them so and far. he goes, welcome to the desert. Yeah, welcome to the desert. That's of the it. real. Desert of the real. <laughs> I was like, all right. <laughs> I mean, hey, it, I'm not saying this has the best acting in it ever or it's not like kind of corny at times. But that's – I think this movie exists as a Saturday afternoon B movie in some ways. Oh, sure. It's just gussied up. Definitely. You know, you have to take it for what it is. But it is so much smarter. The movie itself is so much smarter. Yeah, there's so at much times. time. I, I really think there's so much time spent thinking about uh, the the writing and then going into the direct, the art direction and all yeah. that. Everything. It's a uh, it's a vision. It's not just something that was cobbled together right. by different people. Totally agree. With a script that they're trying to make – come to life you know well here's the question matt is this the only good movie that they've ever made because i really did not like the second and the third matrix movies and in fact i don't remember them at all they had such little impact on me that this sort of exists in my mind like it should have which is one great movie that ends in the most badass way you could imagine but how and it's done how do you only have one Matrix when we know, think man. the budget, at least according to IMDb, is around $63 million? Not a lot for the time. Not a ton, and it, they achieved what they did. For sure. And the worldwide gross, at least according to IMDb, is 460, 463 million. Smash, smash hit. So... I mean, Bound that they did before this was a good movie. Yeah. Did you see that one? I have not seen Bound. Bound is, was good, and they and they made their name on that film, but then they went off to – they obviously got more money and could do the stuff they really wanted to do, like sci-fi. But, like, The Matrix 2 and 3 weren't very good. Speed Racer, I know, has this, like, a cult classic now. Yeah. And there are people that will be like, no, it was genius. But it was a bomb. Uh, Jupiter Ascending, my buddy Scotty and I – I think you know Scotty. Yeah, yeah. We went and saw that together as a joke and had a ball laughing at it. But oh, it was terrible. Oh, is it bad? I've never seen it on purpose because I... You should because it's funny. I was terrified when I watched the trailer. Because I want to believe, I want to believe in in the Wachowskis. But... Well, oh. Cloud Atlas was the other one and I yeah. didn't see it, but that got panned too. So what do you say about these two people that, um, I don't know, did they have one in them? What's the fourth one going to be like? I don't know, man. I'm I don't nervous. know what happens. What happens in Hollywood when you make a movie like this? What happens to you? You know what I mean? Like I person know. at a per, on a personal level, and you hit that success off almost off the bat. Yeah, sure. Second film. Like what? What happens to where can your, you go from there? Yeah. What happens to your circle? What happens yeah. to your creative process? Right. Like I I don't know. All I know is that the next two Matrix movies were attempting to build on a world that people really liked that resonated with a lot of people. Yeah. And with characters that we wanted to spend more time with. And sure. they had some, they expanded on some ideas. Like the things I remember from the second and third movies, the most are this place called Eden. 
Mm-hmm. That's referenced in the first movie several times. The Last Human City is deep underground. Zion, you're right. Yeah. Not Eden. Apologies. Uh, Zion. And when we actually get to go to Zion mm-hmm. in the movies. It's better it, left in the mind. Yeah. It's just right? not. It doesn't. It's not the same. Yeah, that's the deal, I think, is that Zion, as it sets up the concept in this film, works well because you never see it. And it exists in your brain. Yeah. And there's sometimes you don't want to go there and see that stuff. And you definitely don't want to go see a giant sweaty orgy that's super slow (laughs) motion. I remember that part, too. (laughs) And and especially for me. So, okay, get back to little Christian boy kid. Uh You know. Just because I took my religion classes and I, you know, changed my mind about my own personal beliefs didn't yeah. mean that a lot of those bedrock feelings changed. All right. Like I wasn't like, oh man, sex is now the best thing ever. Because no, I was this little, you it's know. It's not an overnight thing. We, we are both still unpacking all that stuff. Yeah. And um, when the second movie comes out a little later, you have this thing happen. And for me, it was such a curl up. In you know, and get away from this movie because mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, 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 for me, I couldn't handle it. And this is just me personally, but um, for a kid whose mind was so blown and, and altered and changed and from the first movie, that single thing stuck in my mind so mm-hmm. deeply that I don't even remember yeah. the big robot fighting. I think there's a giant robot fight scene at some point in this um, where the squids are coming, but the humans in Zion have these giant mechs, but I can't remember if that's real or not. Yeah. I feel like that happened, but... I don't even know, man. They they had such a little impact on me. I was living in L.A. by the time those came out, and I was excited to go see them, and I remember the feeling of disappointment when I left. I was just like, oh, man. They yeah. just fucking dropped the ball. Oh, I remember what the scene was. All of the Agent Smiths. All of the oh, CGI Agent right. Smiths. They had a bunch of them, right? And then Neo became CGI for fight scenes. Yeah. And because they got a bigger budget or something, or, or maybe right. Keanu couldn't do the things what's, that they what's wanted. What's more intimidating than one Agent Smith? Oh, you know what I remember about those movies, dude? I, I can pinpoint why I had a they didn't engage me. Is a person that can't be beat fighting a person that can't be beat isn't dramatic. No, there were no stakes. I remember feeling that like they're both so powerful, and there are so many of them that it's like it's boring. Yeah. This wasn't boring because you ran from the agents. They were superior. And the drama is Neo, in the end, which we'll get to, yeah. achieving uh, power over them. Yeah, exactly. Like, that was the drama. Like, without that, like, it's no fun to watch Superman fight Superman. Dude, you're so right. Because the the stakes ramp up so well in this movie with the Oracle telling Neo that, He's not the one. Well, he's not the one, but also that he's either going to have to let Morpheus die or Mm -hmm. sacrifice himself. Yeah. So we know that death is going to occur. Then when the betrayal occurs and we watch all of the the characters that we've been following around dying off, like they're all, they all just start dying off and we realize, oh my God, oh my God, like maybe Neo really could die. Mm -hmm. And, And again- we know that because he's our pro- – we know that he can't die because he's our protagonist in this movie. Right. If he dies, then the 20 minutes that's left in the movie, like what is that going to be <laughs> yeah. from a storytelling perspective? <laughs> right. But at the same time, you get that feeling when you – if you're truly lost in the moment, like, okay, maybe he really could die. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's 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 a – it's there are legitimate threats in this movie and those were not – I didn't feel like present in the other ones. 
Yeah. Completely. All right. So Neo boards the Nebuchadnezzar. Um, one of the great lines to me that kind of blew my mind, why did my eyes hurt? Yes. You've never used them before. Oh. It's just like, and he's, you know, he's never used his muscles and he's all loaded with the the pin sending electric signals, like, I guess, to just stimulate his muscles. Yeah. So he can fucking move. And he has that, there's that great first person point of view shot when he's walking around the Nebuchadnezzar. Yes. Um, and the only thing that bugs me about this movie, and it even bugged me at the time, were all the dumb little nicknames. It's like, this is Tank and Dozer and Mouse and Skippy and and <laughs> Sharky and <laughs> Electro. <laughs> what was her name? Switch? I think Cypher Switch. Switch. Yeah. It was a little that, weird. It was corny. I want to ask you something. When they go back into the Matrix at some point, they it's when they get betrayed. Mm-hmm. So they're going to go see the Oracle and everything. Mm-hmm. When they first enter the Matrix again, they've got this panning shot, or it's a it's not a pan. I, I wow, I don't know why I'm not. I You're don't know a filmmaker the term. for God's sake. I mean, they're circling around, so okay. they're on a track and they're circling around a telephone that's ringing. Yes, and as they they go around and they get to the other side, and then the our whole Matrix team is just there mm-hmm. inside the Matrix. Everybody has on either a black suit mm-hmm. or a black leather or black uh, latex or black everything, but switch is wearing an all-white outfit. Yeah, she's the only character white. wearing the only... And she has that white hair. Yeah. And I think it's this really interesting thing where they didn't have to do that. Right. But within the Matrix, you're represented as your, you know, the your vision of your best self, mm-hmm. the, you know, your ideal you. Yeah. And since, you know, I don't know who made that character decision, if it was written or something, but I just remember thinking it was really interesting and I yeah. wondered if there was something more to it. I don't, I don't think there was. I think it was just existing in the rules of the movie and right. the world. And she was literally a switch. Yeah. She switched to white and blonde. Know. Just really cool. Man. <laughs> um, the the construct, let's talk about that sequence because that's one of the best parts of the movie to me is when they set up the construct. It became so iconic and copied in fucking TV commercials. Like how many TV commercials did you see rip off the white room with the stuff flying in. Yeah. I mean, it was like fucking car commercials and, and shit. It was so annoying. Yeah. But uh, at, the, at time, the time, it was so iconic. And that whole setup is just so great with the uh, with the learn. Well, first of all, we learn all about the Matrix that we set up AI. AI destroyed the human race. Mm-hmm. We what blacken the sky or scorch the sky uh, because of solar power. It's such a such a great setup. Very yeah. simple, but like believable and cool. Um, but then you have the construct and that whole training sequence that's like one of the best parts of the movie. I just learned Kung Fu. <sighs> I know Kung Fu. <laughs> yeah, or whatever. <laughs> it's such jiu-jitsu? a great I'm going to learn jiu-jitsu. I'm jiu-jitsu. <laughs> that Keanu voice. Dude, and uh, is it Tank? He's like, hey, Mikey, I think he likes it. <laughs> yeah. got to throw that in there, I guess. <laughs> very corny. Uh, but the, the fight scene... You know, it's just oh my God, it's just two team. guys in a room, yeah, fighting. Um, but it's so badass because the wire work is stuff that you like. I guess if you'd seen like Crouching Tiger, um, then you knew it. Or if you were a fan of of Japanese martial arts, but if you weren't, you had never seen anything like that. Oh yeah, it was brand new. Like they totally ripped it off, but only if you had seen that. Stuff. But I'll tell you what, none of that would have mattered, no matter how cool it looks, moving on the screen and yeah. everything. Can you imagine? 
um, if it was silent or just room tone or just the music without the the impact yeah. of the sound effects. Yeah, yeah. The there's a moment where I think it's Neo's no, it's Morpheus is like throwing a knee. He's like jumping and throwing a knee at oh, Neo, man. and it lands and hits that yeah, bamboo yeah. floor and, breaks and the just floor. goes. <laughs> but I mean, it's not just a little or a. Yeah, it's so it's powerful. <laughs> yeah, the sound design oh. was so great, and the uh, we we need to shout out uh, Yun Wu Ping, who was the choreographer for these fight scenes. Nice. And there was there was something you know I hadn't seen. I don't know which martial arts were involved. I suppose it was probably a lot of them combined. Mm-hmm. But I had never seen those those moves with like the straight arm chops and the yeah. backhand chops. And I'd never seen shit like that before. So it just seemed totally original to me. In those fight scenes, they are switching styles. Yeah, right. The entire time. And they do it on purpose to show that. He's yeah, learned all that they, shit. Yeah, they just learned everything. Yeah. And it's so good. I, I remember what Diana exclaimed something when he's going through the training program uh-huh. before they actually get into the fight scene. And, you know, he's just, it's right before he says, I know Kung Fu. Yeah, he's kind of scrolling um, through the options. One of them that he's teaching him is drunken boxing. Oh, yeah, I saw that. And Dino's like, drunken boxing? Yeah, it's what like is bar that? fighting, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, but no, it's a, it's a style. It's oh, this crazy it style of throwing your opponent off because of the way you move. And oh, everything. I thought it just meant like, in every scenario you're covered, if you're drunk and you're in a bar fight, <laughs> then you know how to do that too. You know how to smash a pitcher on a guy's head. I didn't know that was a real thing. Style. Okay, yeah. Well, that's cool. I learned something. Um, but at the end of the training session, you know, that we get to the jump scene, which is fun and great, but it's also like a big pivotal point in the film because there's so much tension. They do such a good job yeah. of the tension in that room when everyone's, you know, and you, you see Trinity like, come on. Come on. Like she wants him to do it because he's the one. Nobody makes their first jump. Yep. And he didn't make his first jump. No, he didn't. They tease it out just right, like of the fact that he's not the one. Yeah, you have enough doubt. You've got to have that doubt for it to have impact at the end. Yeah. And again, that's playing with – it's playing on so many levels. Just that concept of doubt, doubting that Neo is the one, doubting that – you know, personally, you are the one in whatever your struggles are and whatever yeah. you're going through, doubting that, you know, if you take it biblically, that Jesus or whoever, you right. know, Muhammad, whoever you're going to choose is the one, is the one. Yeah. Um, it's, it again, it feels to me like this movie really is uh, going into some other world, some other thing for me when I'm watching this movie. They were after something deeper for sure. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's like some deep philosophical statement about everything, but like they were trying for something a little bit more yeah, than your standard sci-fi stuff. You know, Lawrence Fishburne, when he read the script, this is again from my wife's trivia mm-hmm. lookings, uh, he didn't believe this movie would get made because oh, really? he thought it was too smart. He said, that, oh, yeah, it's too smart. There's like, it, it's there's too much going on here. It, it's not going to get made. But they combine it with this, these great, Great, great action sequences. Some of the best ever. Yeah. I don't know how you top some of that stuff. You know, there's another thing we could talk about here, which is the possible, the influences that this movie has had on people Mm -hmm. throughout some of the more negative things that have occurred. Sure. Some of the big negative things, that image of walking into that building carrying all those guns right. in their trench coats yes. and all that stuff, that yes. image that we saw repeated. Right. Um, 
Yeah. That kind of. Never it, thought it, about that. Well, yeah. I mean, it's true that it seems to have influence. I'm working on a show, speaking of other shows, about a kid that got heavily influenced by this movie. Uh-huh. And he true said True story? It, yeah, true story. He said uh-huh. it in court um, after a lot of people lost their lives. Wow. Um, yeah. And he talked about The Matrix was big for him. And again, it's that idea uh-huh. that the world you think you live in right now- mm-hmm. Is not the real world. There's a deeper level to this. And if you can access that, none of these people matter. Because there's a there's a part where they're in the the you remember the lady in red or the woman in red? Uh-huh. They're in that training simulation. And Morpheus is teaching Neo that all of these people, everyone here, if they're not awake, mm-hmm. essentially, if they're not a part of our team, right. they are an agent. They are a potential agent because Mm -hmm. the agents can switch between any person that's there. That concept is pretty dangerous to somebody who maybe is a little less stable or their worldview is – Or straight up mentally ill that everyone else is the enemy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Never thought about that. Well, it's not – again, it's not like this is the only movie that has that concept. It's just at the time for what it was, for the other themes that it's dealing with – it seemed to resonate with kids, yeah, uh, and pe- people my age, people a little younger. Uh-huh. Um, for me, it was a positive thing, right? But for others, maybe not so much. Yeah. Doesn't mean the movie's bad or is doing anything wrong, right? It's just a something that you need to talk about, though. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, Sorry to go there, Chuck. No, man, that's <laughs> that's that's fucking legit. Um, but I'm going to move on to a, a, another favorite line. <laughs> awesome, awesome, awesome. Are you saying I can dodge bullets? No, Neo. I'm saying when you're ready, you won't have to. (laughs) There's so many great lines like that. Some of them are a little cornball, but they're just fucking movie lines, man. They are. They're such good lines. Hi, everyone. It's Katie Couric. I've used my podcast, Next Question, as a platform to explore the big issues we face in these crazy times. And right now, there's no crazier time and no bigger issue than the coronavirus, which is why we're switching gears and pushing our regular reported episodes to the summer. In the meantime, we're going to stay focused on the coronavirus, talking to the experts so you can really understand what's going on. I know it's overwhelming, but we can get through this together. You can listen to Next Question on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. We want you to know that we are here for you. All right. Uh, we haven't hit it yet. I know we're running out of time. I haven't even checked no, we're not. how long. I mean, how long? What's your, what's your out? What do you have to do? Uh, nothing. We have a, a big meeting with that, that guy, that, uh, what most time? powerful person in podcasting <laughs> at uh 12. So okay. we're good. We're looking good then. Okay. So I really want to do the agent Smith monologues because okay. <laughs> this, or we don't have to do the whole thing. I don't know. Maybe it's worth it. Will we get sued or is Warner brothers going to come no, after us? Th- we can't play it, but we can certainly oh, reenact it. I wish we could play it. Oh, Warner Brothers, why won't you let us play some of the amazing things that you've created? We could probably get away with that, but I'd rather hear you say it. Okay. Well, there were two of them in particular, and this is at the point in the movie where Morpheus has been captured. Uh Uh, Morpheus sacrificed himself to save Neo because he truly believes he's the one. That's a rough part of the movie because you don't want to see Morpheus getting his ass kicked. Yeah. 
yeah, hard. Like yeah. just it's bad in that uh, bathroom. Then we come back to Morpheus. He's in that chair. He's strapped in, and uh, the agents are all there with him. And Agent Smith is just talking directly to him. They're on a high level, uh, high rise, yeah. right? They're on one of the top levels, and it gives you a view of the city, mm-hmm. the human constructed city, right? And he starts talking to you to Morpheus. Oh uh, yeah, I know. What you're, I know where you're going here. He says, "Have you ever stood and stared at it, marveled at its beauty, its yeah. genius? Billions of people just living out their lives, oblivious. Did you know that the first Matrix was designed to be a perfect human world where none suffered, where everyone would be happy? It was a disaster. No one would accept the program. Entire crops were lost." Some believed that we lacked the programming language to describe your perfect world. But I believe that, as a species, human beings define their reality through misery and suffering. Now, just if we stop right there, like, yeah. I think we kind of do. I think they might be hitting on something like, like right there. Oh, sure. Um, it's feeling like, now, remember, kid, uh, Matt. Yeah, 16. Choir boy. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> listening to that going, ooh, yeah, well, I, I totally do, like... Dying on the cross, bearing your yeah. cross, like a, a guilt for everything, everything's oh, yeah, a sin. Man. Oh, God. This is touching all your this buttons. Is, this is hitting me so hard. <laughs> and the way he's delivering it, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's Hugo Weaving, right? Uh-huh. Oh, my God. Just amazing. So then he goes, so the perfect world was a dream that your primitive cerebrum kept trying to wake up from, which is why the Matrix was redesigned to this, the peak of your civilization. I say your civilization because as soon as we started thinking for you, it really became our civilization, which is, of course, what this is all about. Evolution, Morpheus. (laughs) Evolution. Like the dinosaur. And he points to the window that we've been, we've seen this window the whole time, unless we've gotten the reaction shot to Morpheus. This giant window with all of humanity's Uh glory. Look out that window. You had your time. The future is our world, Morpheus. The future is our time. <laughs> man, it's so good. <laughs> Just, oh. It's great, man. And and you get us in that you finally get a sense in that scene, like he gets angry. He's yeah. so angry that he has to live among these humans. And it's like that's when he lets down the veneer. The only time he lets so, down yeah. that cool veneer, and he's by himself, the other agents aren't with him. And that's sort of like he's breaking bad a little bit. And he seems he, vulnerable. For you can, he's time. vulnerable and you can tell the rage. You can see the rage. Mm-hmm. And that's when I think you get, the, you know, the human beings are a disease, a cancer of this planet. Dude, that hit me too. Yeah. That, you know when that hit me hardest though? Um, much later, because uh, this is always in the back of my mind. I didn't, I never thought about that too hard of humans as a, a cancer until I was listening to the Joe Rogan experience a long time ago. And he was discussing his, his vision, I guess that he had while he was on a, a plane flight, I believe mm-hmm. out to California, heading, heading West out to California, mm-hmm. flying over certain parts of that area mm-hmm. before you get to a lot of civilization out there. Right. And he's just talking about the, the magnificent beauty, even this, even in the areas where there's not a lot of foliage, there's not a lot of like, n- there's not a lot of trees or anything, but it's just all natural. It's all nature. You're just watching all this mm-hmm. stuff. And then 
you start getting into civilization and you especially as you start getting to LA, yeah. you start to see the metal constructs yeah. that, sh- that shoot out of the ground yeah. and the, the black gray stuff that covers everything, yeah. the, just the lack of nature. And he's, he's talking about how if you look at our whole planet and everything, mm-hmm. It seems like a living natural being, the planet mm-hmm. itself, but then there's these cancers that are growing. There are these cities that mm-hmm. are just like these malignant tumors that are just growing and growing it sort and of growing. Feels that way sometimes. Well, and I'm thinking back to his his whole thing about yeah. equilibrium. He's talking about uh humans he doesn't believe that humans are a mammal because all mammals adapt to yeah. equilibrium within their environment. Humans are the only ones that right. continue to produce, uh-huh. to to continue to spread outwards consume. and eventually, yeah, consume and want to spread to the other planets. Yeah. The way a virus wants to spread to the next cell. Yeah. Uh, whether it wants to do that or not, it is compelled to do so through some natural mechanism. Yeah, yeah. Jeez, like, man. Dude. Those are some great, great, very well-written monologues. Yeah. I mean, it's saying a lot. You know, he they have – the Wachowskis had a lot to say, I think. Yeah. Like they had, a, they had a perspective and a point of view. They weren't just making a movie. Exactly. You know? Well, the problem for me is what's the counter argument, you know, to Agent Smith? Like what, no, what is – what great. is great. Well, I mean <laughs> – Fucking love my microwave and my beamer. What are you talking about? Well, I know, but is that really I'm, – I'm honestly – Asking because in the movie, the counter argument to that is no, it, every human life is precious. Mm-hmm. Every point of consciousness that we have is unique and yet the same, you know? So it's like, I think that's what it's saying. And and there's value in having an intelligence like that, uh, that is, that is, can both analyze, but can also truly feel, mm-hmm. right? Um, the way the machine's perhaps cannot or seem to not be able to. Mm-hmm. But again, we don't see a lot of the world of the machines and what they're doing. Yeah. Like what what once the machines have all this energy they've created with the the humans on their batteries. Yeah. We know they've got sentinels. Uh-huh. We know that there's a part of them that exists within the matrix because it's a part of their or the machine consciousness is uh-huh. in there with the agents and with the program itself. But we don't see what the machines are doing. Like what what is the Right. What is their life like? Right. Right? We don't know. Yeah. Is there meaning to that life? Maybe there is some bigger meaning, even though, you know, perhaps art and culture aren't a part of it, or maybe it's a different art and culture. I don't know. I'm just saying if I yeah. didn't know anything about the larger matrix universe, I would want to know. Right. Like why is that more important uh, than the human life? Right, which is where they should have left this film. That's why you don't need sequels. Mm. Like, leave so many things unanswered. Better move. I think so. You know, not like they answered everything, but I feel like they went way down the road of tidying things up. Well, should we get to the the end end? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, quickly he goes and sees the Oracle, uh, which is a great sequence. Yeah. Um, she's She did such a wonderful job in that Don't part. Don't mind the vase. Uh, I know that's so good. There is no spoon. Yeah. So corny, but like it's such a great line. Yeah. Um, Joey Pants, you know, has sold out Morpheus at this point. There were these little cool bits along the way that I loved. Just 
as far as just having cool ideas when like you sit down with your buddy to write a script and you're thinking about this future world like what you know what are things that happen and like how about this like deja vu is a glitch in the matrix yeah. fucking awesome there's a black cat was yes. it the same black cat <laughs> it's so great it's like i remember like in the theater thinking that was such a cool little touch mm-hmm. to add that you know like cuz no one can explain deja vu in real life, so they're like, how about this? That's the uh, fucking glitch in the Matrix. Some, they changed something. That's what deja vu is. So th- there's the scene when Cypher breaks, uh, breaks bad, and that is really a brutal scene. Yeah. Where people are getting unplugged and people are dying, and uh, that that was like, I've seen this movie a bunch of times, and that was like tough for me to watch last night. Yeah, man. When or two he, nights ago. When he hits Tank with that crazy electric or the electricity yeah. gun, then his brother... Dozer yes. sees him and he's just running over to stop him, gets him too. And then he's sitting on top of Morpheus. Well, he sits on top of Trinity and gets oh, all yeah. creepy. Oh, God. Then he sits on, I, I don't know if he sits on Morpheus. I but think he like straddles Morpheus. He's just like talking to him like, come on, man. Wait. Yeah, there's so much disrespect and like Morpheus has earned this place in the film of respect. Mm-hmm. And so it's really impactful when he's like destroying everything they've worked for. Uh, he gets his, of course, which is great. But this tension is building throughout over this central question of the whole film is Neo the One. Yep. And that's that's the question. And that's why it sets up that third act so perfectly um, is you've got – and it's one of my favorite things in movies. If you can get – like, hey, it's great in The Karate Kid when they have this one central thing at the end. But what's even better in a movie is when you've got two or three things all converging and playing out. That's the shit I love. And they're connected enough to where it matters. The, All of the outcome are, of that one yes, matters of this one. That's right. And the Sentinels are deployed, and Neo is doing his thing, and, like, all of these things are happening at once. And it's that's such a great way to, like, ratchet up tension yeah. is to have converging storylines of tension all happening. That also that you understand, and they're in a physical place that when you're cutting back and forth, it feels different enough. Yeah. And the style of editing and shots are different enough yeah. to where it you can – it doesn't feel jarring or confusing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, we should cover really quickly, though. I know you mentioned it a little bit earlier about the lobby shootout. But the lobby shootout sequence to the rooftop battle and the helicopter crash are all sort of, you know, back-to-back. Yeah. And it's just a mind-blowing set. Like, that. there's so many bullets going in that lobby sequence yeah. and so much shit breaking and flying around in slow motion. It, again, it was like I hadn't seen that in movies quite like this before. Like Dude, they, they took it to 11. This is what I wrote. Entering building. Black leather. Black trench coat. So many guns. <laughs> Holy shit. Backup. Send backup. Slow motion flip. Slow motion exploding stone. Slow motion cartwheel. Gun grab. Damn. Soundtrack. Elevator up. Ding. <laughs> well, he even says that's one of the other iconic lines is guns. We're going to need lots of guns. <laughs> and then you get the <laughs> shot you were talking about in the construct. <laughs> yeah, of the of all the guns rushing by. Yeah. But that is a great part when he initially goes in and he goes, open your coat. And he's got like <laughs> 40 fucking guns and that long duster, that black yeah. duster jacket. Like, back up. Send back up. Oh, my God. It's so good. Um, and then the rooftop battle, you know, when he dodges the bullets and he does that very, uh, again, I keep saying the word iconic, but it is. The yeah, Matrix when he dodge. when he bends over backwards and does the Matrix duck. Oh, man. <laughs> so good. Oh, and Trinity's like, how did – or no, Trinity comes up and she says, dodge this. And just like point uh, blank blast Another the great line. Uh, <laughs> but then, you know, we have the great helicopter sequence because Morpheus has been up there, you know, getting 
getting a talking to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the helicopter sequence is so great. Can we talk about that minigun, the little the minigun he uses? And how he doesn't hit Morpheus? It, well, okay. <laughs> so I, I, last night I was going like, wait a minute. Because <laughs> he He's fired 20,000 bullets in there. Just doesn't stop spraying. And it's he's moving sweet, though. all around. Oh, I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess Morpheus was just dodging in there or whatever. <laughs> so you think uh, Neo is going to leave and um, the phone gets shot, though, and broken. Yeah. Which, by the way, we should say that that's a really cool way that they did this in the movie that you have to get a phone to get sucked into because, you know, there's the great shot earlier or maybe it's now with uh, Trinity and the truck coming. Put your hand on the glass. Yeah, like there's so many times where they're running away from Najat toward a phone and there's just so much tension going on. Mm -hmm. So well done. Uh, But in this, the phone gets shot and then the stage is set. It's like it's it's one of the best setups for one of the best final battles in movie history. Yeah. Between he and Anderson. In that subway station, man. Do you know what my favorite part of it is? Let's see if you can guess. Favorite part. Let me let me get the best the best fight move. My favorite fight move in that bass in that last sequence was it where? Yes. That, the, okay. So nobody heard, nobody saw that. The throat poke. Yeah, the throat poke. <laughs> yeah. It's so great. He stops his his fist right in front of his face, <laughs> and he jams his little fingers out into his throat. Yeah. It's like I, I remember like almost cheering when I saw that in the movie. I thought it was so cool. Well, and this is really important because this is the part in the movie where Neo. Thomas Anderson himself uh-huh. truly begins to believe that he could be the one. I think right. this is the moment yeah. when he's fighting and he's getting beat up, but he's deciding to fight back and he's seeing and getting that confidence within the Matrix that yeah. he's only experienced a little bit of in the construct with Morpheus. Right. Um, and it turns on that one line. Oh, you what hear is, what? that, Mr. Anderson? That's the sound of inevitability. Yeah. The sound of your death. And then what does he say back? Um... Does he say good? He uh, says goodbye, Mister Anderson. Or? No, well, no. That's that's uh, Smith talking to him, and then Neo answers back. My name is Neo, <laughs> and that's when he makes that Jump. that that switch to yeah. like the well. He's not quite the one yet, as far as realizing it. Yeah, but that's when he gets that confidence because he still runs away after that. Yeah, which is key to the movie, I think, because he holds his own. In the battle in the subway, mm-hmm. but then he gets the fuck out of there because yeah. he can't beat him in that moment. He, well, he knows that he's just going to transfer to the next guy. The agent got there because there there was a homeless man sleeping down in the subway watching them. Yeah, and you know the agent got there, he just reappears again. That's the, again, that's a terrifying thing about the agent. No matter how many times you kill the agent, it's coming back. Right, unless you dive kill. into his body. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get there. The final. Yeah, man. Uh, I mean, the hallway sequence is so amazing. Yeah. Because he stands his ground. They're all three down there shooting at him. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The first thing, he's running down that hallway, thinks he's escaping. He opens the door and immediately point blank, they shot him in his chest. Of course, how could I forget? Well, and and this is the thing you're talking about with the converging storylines because it immediately cuts to. Neo in real life. Right. Bleeding out of his mouth. He like spits blood out of his mouth. Sentinels are coming in. Trinity's there by his side. Yeah, super upset. Then we're getting these cuts in. He gets shot like a bunch more times. Yeah, yeah. And it appears that he's dead. Mm-hmm. He but, flatlines. But think about this. Uh, in the in the real world and also the symbolic world of their storytelling, Trinity mm-hmm. 
You just did scare quotes. Trinity. <laughs> yeah. The, that name, that what that means, uh-huh. the Trinity yes. saves Neo Father, and Son, brings him back uh-huh. to life uh-huh. through love. Yeah. And a kiss, but mostly love. But it works. And it totally works. Yeah. I mean, it, it should have been the corniest thing ever, like literally kissing the dead prince to come back to life. Yeah. But it fucking works, man. It worked two nights ago when I saw it. It did. That great, like, it, it's partially due to the writing, partially due to her acting. She acted that oh, the shit out of that scene Yep. when she's, like, so upset. And she tells him, like, the oracle told me I would fall in love with the one. So you can't be dead. Well, and that is all happening, that tender moment, that real, you can feel it, as these machines are tearing their oh, yeah, environment the apart. so real. And lasers are going off everywhere. Oh, yeah. They're and, in hull breach. Like, yeah. they're in that shit. Yeah. And... You know, you also get the agents kind of gloating over their trophy thing and then just leaving. And yeah. All of that's happening at the same time. Yeah. And, you know, talk about... The cross-cutting, the editing is so great. Yeah. Culminating storylines and emotions uh-huh. and just... Ugh. All the feels. <laughs> it makes me so happy. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, as corny as it is, it works, man. She tells him she loves him because I love you and she kisses him and he fucking stands up. Yep. So great. And he sees the Matrix. And he sees the Matrix. And that is, well, first of all, the bullets, he stops the bullets first, I think. Oh, he does. I think yeah, that's you're the right. That's what he just says, no. Yeah, he says, no, the bullets stop in midair. He picks up one, looks at it, drops it. They all fall. And that's Agents when- Agents are like, what the fuck? Yeah, that's when I believe you see that long fucking hallway shot oh. of him seeing inside the Matrix. And it's just like- it, it blew me away two nights ago all over again. You know, it totally stands up. Oh, I feel it, man. Because then the agents run at him and he's he's turns to his side with one arm is just blocking oh, all of their attacks. And he's I remember like, the first time I saw that man when he was doing that slow-mo battling and the way they shot that, I was just like, oh, dude, it is all over for you. You're fucking done. And that sidekick that yes. just sends him way back down there. He and holds like, his leg up oh. and puts it down so slowly. Like everything about that sequence is perfect. Because it calls back to Van Damme for me. Like, there are all these yeah. things that it's just like, <laughs> it's just hitting nostalgia. It's hitting badass factor. You want to hear how I wrote this up in my Oh, notes? yeah, yeah, yeah. The end is perfect. She tells him she loves him and he's the one. He can't be dead. He gets up. He stops the bullets. He looks down the hall and it's so fucking great. <laughs> Slow motion leg kick. Leg put down. Body explosion. Yes. <laughs> that jumping in him. Yeah, and then the other, uh, well... One of my my two favorite moments of that are when he sees the Matrix down the hallway, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then after he dives into his body and explodes Agent Smith, he does that flex, and the walls flex with him, and he does that deep breathe that's like the the Buddhist monks yeah. like composure, and I'm and that's when the guy the other two are just fucking out of there, you know? Yeah, he's literally rewriting the code. Yeah, that they are in real time, and they know it. Yeah. So great. That flex with the wall. Like, again, like the imagination to do that, like when you're sitting around and writing a movie and like, how about this? At the end, he like just sort of flexes and the walls move with him. Like, how do you think of that? I don't know. I don't know. And it's so impactful. It feels like some Dragon Ball Z stuff, like mixed with a lot of the other comics and concepts of... Um, manipulating energy in that way, like yeah. chi and a lot of these, sure. you know, more Eastern things. Um, I just realized, and I forgot about this, that is one of the most important 
moments in all of the Matrix trilogy when he jumps inside Agent Smith. Uh huh. Because I forgot. I think it's in the second one. Either I think it's the second one. That concept that Neo and Agent Smith became one for a moment. Right. So Agent Smith was imbued somehow with some of the powers or something with Neo. They they became interconnected and inseparably connected. Oh. Um, See, I don't remember anything about those I, other ones. Dude, I'm just kind of recalling it because I only saw it once in the theater. Yeah, same. <laughs> um, but I think that's important to oh, the overall okay. arc. Oh, well. Don't quote you. Don't quote me. <laughs> well, then, then uh, the last thing we really get here after all that is the the voiceover? Yeah, the voiceover. The, yeah, on the phone. as it as it zooms in to uh, the word system failure. Yeah, on the screen, and then Rage Against the Machine is like, "Oh, was this movie pretty badass for yeah. you? Well, guess what? <laughs> what? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Let me, here's your cherry. Let me slam it on top. Oh, the oh, so great. Uh, and then that final voiceover, like, who's he talking to? I think it's, that's the one thing I couldn't figure out because he's on a phone. That's the thing. Is he talking to other ships out there that are, we know are like the Nebuchadnezzar? It seems like a beacon, like it? he's sending out a call, right? Yeah. Is it to the other humans that are in Zion? Is it to, um, you know, anyone? Other people like him. Anyone that's awake? Right. That's still inside the Matrix? That's woke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't call it woke back or then. Or at least they know. They know that they're, the Matrix is out there, but they don't yeah. know what it is, you know, just right. like Neo did in the very beginning. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe it's that, but ultimately it's a message to us, the viewer, right? Yeah, I think so. Especially if you talk about the... He's talking to you, the audience member, I think. Yeah, yeah. And then, I I mean, I distinctly remember sitting in that theater, hearing that final, like, after my mind had just been blown at what I'd just seen, and then that last shot of him flying. (laughs) Just like, the perfect way to end that movie. Yeah, He has the power of flight now. Just because he thinks he can. There is no spoon. <laughs> he knows it. It's, he's bending himself, not the spoon. The spoon isn't even there. Oh, God. So good. I'm yeah. so glad I got to watch this again and talk about it with you. Like, And, and that neither of us are cynical about it. No, dude. I, yeah. That would have been a, a sad conversation. <laughs> <laughs> it means a lot that I got to do this one because, you know, I've studied a lot of film in my life, but... If you want to talk about a movie crush, like what this show yes, is about, exactly, this dude. was perfect for me, and I cannot believe no one else had picked it yet. Yeah, so. I like getting Casey in here for film studies mm-hmm. stuff. Those are great conversations, dude. but there's nothing better than sitting down with Paul Schneider and talking about Back to the Future, or you and talking about The Matrix, and these, uh, or Kyle Kinane and talking about Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah, and these just these are movies, you know, they're not films. That's exactly what they Although are. Although this treads on films, but movies in the best sense of the word. Yeah, totally man. entertaining, fun. This one's a little heady, gives you something else to chew on. Um, it's, but it's also a B-sci-fi B flick in a lot of ways. Yeah. I it's mean, all the things. It is. And it, they're dreams, right? The Your favorite movie kind of invades your dreams a lot. Mm-hmm. At least it has in my experience, where it does kind of shape the way you see things. Yeah. A little bit. Just... After seeing this movie, I remember walking around occasionally afterward being like, is this all real? I know. <laughs> Was that deja vu? Uh-oh. Am I being duped? <laughs> is there a new brick wall in here somewhere? Those are good questions to ask yourself, though. Right? It's good stuff. In all things, have a little healthy skepticism. Awesome, Matt. This is a lot of fun, brother. Hey, man. Thanks for doing it. Thank you. Thank you.
For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. The entire first season of This Time Tomorrow is available now to binge from start to finish. In this new iHeart series presented by T-Mobile for Business, join me, Osvaloshin, and Kara Price as we explore the exciting possibilities of the next generation of connectivity. From smart cities to future farms, you'll find out just how much could change with future 5G networks. Listen to This Time Tomorrow on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What if you could learn from the world's most inspiring women? Now you can. Introducing Seneca Women, conversations on power and purpose. We bring you purpose-driven, actionable ideas and insights from leaders such as Tori Birch, Madeline Albright, Katie Couric, Valerie Jarrett, Andrea Jung, and many more. Listen to Seneca Women, conversations on power and purpose on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.